0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, an internal medicine physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Going back a few months ago, before the COVID crisis happened, physicians were struggling with several issues, work-life balance, burnout, dealing with new electronic health record systems, dealing with large systems, and we were all working towards resolving this crisis when COVID-19 came. Today, our talk, podcast is going to be on compassion during the COVID-19 crisis. We are joined today over podcast by Dr. David Rosenman, who's Assistant Professor of Medicine at Mayo Clinic Rochester. David is a hospitalist, He also serves as an international consultant in the design and operations of hospitals and hospital systems. David is a prolific teacher. He teaches the fourth year medical students in the Mayo Medical School. He's also an advisor to several innovation and startups. Thank you for joining us today, David. Uh, Thank you, it's my
1: pleasure to be here.
0: David, my first question to you is that it was common in the recent weeks for for people to refer to whatever is going on, and we know what's going on with the COVID-19 crisis, as these strange times, we hear that everybody's feeling uncomfortable. Can you start by talking a little bit on how and why all of us are feeling uncomfortable these days?
1: It's a It's a great question and it's a question that a lot of people would probably listen to and say, that uh, the answer is obvious. We, we've never, never been in a time where uh, so much of our day-to-day is restricted and um, where there's so much uncertainty about um, what might happen to us or to our loved ones or to our financial situation. Uh, so lots of people uh, all over the world uh, in an unprecedented way uh, are not only anxious um, or concerned or feel uncertain, but they're, they're suffering. And a lot of people don't even recognize it as suffering. So um, compassion comes in as uh, a a way of of relieving that suffering. When, When we think of compassion, we think of an emotional response that involves an authentic desire to help. So at a time when most of the world in one way or another is suffering, it seems relevant to talk about ways to relieve some of that suffering and to help.
0: So David, we haven't been through any pandemics, but history has shown the Spanish flu, the world wars, and so many things going on in the 18th century. There were infections, but you're right. Uh, regardless of the human tragedy, compassion seems to be fitting in into each of these uh, era. Uh, can you tell us in the current generation? We are exhausted listening about the kind the types of testing that's going on and. Uh, between the molecular testing and the antibody testing, between social distancing, vaccine development, and hospitalization. There seems to be so many things going on. Where does compassion fit into all of these? It's also
1: uh, so important to think about these two things together. On the one hand, you mentioned uh, testing and uh, social distancing and hospitalization and All of these things which offer great value to to help us try to understand who's sick, uh, who's not sick, who might get more sick, who's at risk of dying. And so if all of these tools that we have in terms of tests and treatment work well, that helps us feel secure. But we're in this strange time where we're just developing the tests and we're just learning how to hospitalize people and we're just learning how to social distance. and so. Um, Because there are so many different sources of information and um, there hasn't been consistency across all of those sources, that invites all kinds of of uncertainty and discomfort and anxiety, as everybody, I think, well knows. Um, The thing is that if we're compassionate in the face of all of that uncertainty, we're able to not only make people hopefully feel better. Um, compassion can feel very fluffy when we talk about it compared to these hard sciences of uh, molecular tests, serologies, uh, int- intensive care, uh, and so forth. But in fact, compassion brings about physiologic benefit. Compassion has uh, effects on the, the autonomic nervous system. It, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. It suppresses the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, it, It lowers blood pressure when we feel compassion and when we're compassionate toward others. It lowers heart rate. There are endocrine effects that are beneficial. So it not only helps us with the uncertainty about all of these tools, diagnostic and therapeutic, but it also is a tool in helping us to feel better, both mentally and even physically.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned about the compassion. When we talk about compassion, We think about its compassion to our relatives, our patients, our children, uh, family members, things like that. But I want you to go a bit further, and I know you've worked and you've spoken about it. We work very closely in the hospital system, but the only desire we have is a desire to help. But it comes sometimes at a peril. Uh, Could you talk about this entity of self compassion? What does it mean? when I am my own friend. We started by talking about the
1: suffering of other people and we all went into this field because we wanted to try to help people and to relieve that suffering. But, but all this work for which healthcare providers are being called heroes, it takes a toll. Uh, and it is our nature, I think, in healthcare to be so selfless sometimes that we forget the toll that it takes on us or we think because we trained in a very hierarchical environment, that we're supposed to absorb that suffering, and we're not supposed to acknowledge it. But but in fact, all of the physiologic effects and toxicity of stress and suffering, cortisol, adrenaline, higher heart rate, uh, that happens to the people we're taking care of when they're stressed. That happens to us when we feel that kind of discomfort and suffering too. So we can acknowledge that And in the same way that on an airplane you put a mask on yourself, so you take care of yourself so that you can then take care of other people, you also need to take care of yourself, as I think we all know, in the clinic setting and in the hospital setting and elsewhere, so that we're empowered to take care of other people. And that self-compassion we think of as having three components. One of them you mentioned, which is self-kindness, which is Treating ourselves the way we would treat people who we really respect and care about, our good friends, being good to ourselves. It's much more common to be critical of ourselves. Another is um, common humanity. The idea that we really truly are, regardless of your background, we really are all related. We all are brothers and sisters. We all share a common experience. And um, that helps, I think, to bring us together just to acknowledge that. And finally, just mindfulness, mindfulness. And by mindfulness, we mean awareness of our surroundings without judgment, awareness of our response to those surroundings, just consciousness of that. Those three things together, self-kindness, mindfulness, recognition of common humanity, If, if we just spend a moment or two to think about those three things at the beginning of our day, throughout our day, we'll be better suited to take care of other people
0: well. So I have this health worker who's saying, David, I understand, understand what you're saying, uh, self-compassion. But I now have this additional pressure. I have a pre- pressure because we've designed this new COVID system and there are new organizational restrictions. There are new rules and regulations. What you are saying seems to me that it's going to take a lot more time. What, what do you have to say for that, David? Yeah, well,
1: long before there was this pandemic, the question of time and compassion uh, w- was asked and uh, studied. Tw- Twenty years ago or so, there was a study at Johns Hopkins University asking just this question because more than half of doctors who were surveyed said that they did—they just didn't have time for compassion. They needed to—they needed to go through their guidelines and. They would love to be compassionate, but holding hands with everyone and taking the time wasn't going to allow them to go through their practice. And We hate to acknowledge that we feel that way, but uh, sometimes, sometimes the stress brings that out. This study at Hopkins had a very simple intervention, and that was that um, they, were, they, they inserted the tiniest bit of communication before and after a visit in the oncology setting. And that tiny bit of communication just was something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like this. It was This This is a difficult time that you're going through. I can imagine it's very difficult, and there may be a lot of uncertainty along the way, but I want you to know that I'm here to help you, to help clarify, to a- answer questions, and to be available, and, and we'll get through this one way or another. We'll get through this, uh, and, and we'll be together in this. And, and it, it turns out that that had a positive effect on, on the outcomes that they studied it, uh, in, in uh, this research. And it took 40 seconds, 40 seconds. And sometimes it's just holding a hand or just saying a kind thing.
0: And just those words can actually bring about positive effects. So uh, one of the thing which is coming out loud and clear from what you're saying is authenticity. Uh, when you're trying to be compassionate The person whom you are trying to be compassionate has to look at you as a trusted and an authentic source. And that's what you're hand holding with the pressure that you're applying and and the words you're using is so reassuring. In this moment of crisis, once once you have taken the time for self-compassion, there's so many other people around you, uh, your family members, friends, uh, fellow citizens, uh, there are children who are studying now, uh, homeschooled now. Um, there are teenagers who are not able to go to school, play tennis. There's so many things going on. Can you give me some specific ex- examples on how you're going to talk with them or deal, deal with their suffering with compassion?
1: Well, compassion is, is a, it's a universal uh, tool uh, because suffering is universal. Uh, and there are even examples of of uh, how what we've already talked about has played out outside of the formal healthcare setting. You may notice that sometimes press conferences with the, with the, the, the media to um, share information in the time of this crisis will sometimes end with the words, we are in this together. And, that, and that's not a coincidence. It's because they're learning from the research that we just talked about. The, the same is true with friends and family and fellow citizens. If, if your relatives get the sense, and your friends get the sense, and your fellow, fellow citizens, with whom you may not share political background, with whom you may not share religious background, if they get the sense that you know that we are in this together, that they can trust you, at least you, to know that this is a shared experience, uh, and that we will go out of our way to help one another, and that we acknowledge mindfulness, we, will, we acknowledge one another's experience, that same tool that works in the clinical setting works everywhere else too calling it a tool is what's new but actually but actually leveraging it and experiencing it and having it be part of life it predates everything that we know including
0: medicine and religion and everything else so it's not only being authentic which is a part of compassion what I'm hearing to you it's more than hearing it's listening to the person and and trying to be present for the person saying i'm i'm we are here together we are here in this together i'm there for you showing your presence uh, now come to the practical daily tips so you've given the broad aspect there are all these words being thrown about empathy words about sympathy and compassion how do you blend all of these three huge uh, ideas and the value systems i would say and what are the some practical tips that you would give us?
1: Well, those, those terms that you mentioned also have, have been studied. And um, it, you know, it's funny sometimes to think about research uh, in the context of what feels like a kind of touchy-feely area like compassion. It reminds me of the study in the British Magic, Medical Journal years ago about parachutes. It was a kind of a tongue-in-cheek article saying um, it was a systematic review uh, which found that there were no randomized control trials of parachutes, so therefore, why would you want to use parachutes, because they haven't been tr- proven to be useful. And so some people would say at the time, like, why do we have to do a study about compassion? Of course, compassion is useful. But we we do learn, especially from, from the people we take care of. Uh, in, in the oncology setting, uh, some uh, on, oncology patients were were asked, people who, people who had a uh, advanced uh, stage of cancer, were asked their feelings about those terms actually that you mentioned, sympathy and empathy and compassion. The researchers found that the, the, the patients felt that sympathy was um, kind of pity. They, they didn't really want your sympathy. Sympathy being like kind of a, a, a cognitive acknowledgement that a person is suffering and to say, oh, that's, 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 that, that's awful. Empathy was a little bit better. The, the patients said that they liked empathy better. Empathy, of course, the, which isn't surprising. that Empathy is, as we've learned it, to be kind of putting yourself in the shoes of another person to say, I can imagine this is really hard. But, but there's a big difference between empathy and compassion by these semantics. Compassion is thought to involve love. It's thought to involve the act, active desire to help. It's been said that that empathy can happen through a one-way mirror, but that compassion cannot happen through a one-way mirror. You can see someone on the other side of a one-way mirror and, and, and say, well, I can imagine that's very hard, but that person can't feel your compassion from the other side of a one-way mirror. Mm-hmm. Th- there's one other thing that characterizes compassion, which I'll mention, and that is what's called a supererogatory act. That's a word that I learned when I was learning about this. A supererogatory act is something that is beyond necessary. When you go out of your way to do something for somebody that they didn't expect, and you, it would have been fine if you didn't do it, but that extra thing, that extra thing that they, they didn't expect that makes them feel better is a supererogatory act, and that characterizes compassionate actions.
0: So in this era of physical distancing, what you're saying is physical distancing, of course, prevents uh, and checks COVID-19, but not social distancing. Here's a here's a challenge for us. Now when I'm speaking so true, to, yeah. When I'm speaking with you on Zoom, is it possible to transmit compassion, be a two-way mirror by telecommunication like we are doing now over Zoom? Yeah, of course. I get a sense that you really care about me. And I hear that's what you're talking about, that we don't really have to be physically present to show compassion.
1: Yeah, of course, there are elements of being compassionate, like just soothing touch, just holding someone's hand, that we all wish that we could experience in this time. But 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 these video calls that, um, or even audio calls. But but in addition to hearing voice, if you can if you can look into someone's eyes and and they can know from your communication uh, how much love there is or how much concern there is through through two way question and answer about experience, mindfulness, kindness, recognition of common humanity, most of that can happen even through these digital
0: tools. Just like I'm seeing into your eyes and I can see the care and compassion in your eyes, um, and and I'm sure somebody sitting in my chair would, would feel the same. Do you have any other special message for our practitioners, health providers and practitioners?
1: it's a good time to remember that compassion predates almost everything we know. Uh, It it predates organized religion, it transcends culture, it transcends religion, it certainly transcends politics, and um, long before we had antibiotics or a stethoscope or an exam room, long before the terms healthcare provider or even patient were used, we did care about each other, and that hasn't changed, and um, that isn't gonna change. And in fact, long after we have, have exhausted the uses for penicillin and remdesivir and respiratory therapy devices and ventilators and everything else that, uh, that we use today in healthcare, long after those have been replaced by something else, we still will have compassion. And uh, it's probably the best tool we have ever had and that we ever will have. So it seems like a relevant thing to remember.
0: Very well, very well put, David, very well put. Uh, It seems to be a gift that has been handed to us over the generations, a gift that we need to really nurture and use more of, and not just get uh, caught up with the technological uh, stuff that we we are able to handle these days, very well put. So we've been hearing about the use of compassion in COVID-19 from Dr. David Rosenman, uh, who's a hospitalist and is in the front line of managing COVID-19 crisis. Thank you, David, for taking the time to bring this very essential topic. Uh, We have covered in our podcast all kinds of topics about the effect of COVID on every single uh, organ system but looks like what you have said gives us and gives all the providers who are managing this complex disease a very important tool, something which has been there uh, for centuries. And thank you for that. If you've enjoyed the Mayo Clinic podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and we'll see you back next week.